You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. I want to start with something that is quite exciting for us in the days in which we live. Because as we look at the world around us, And we see that the world is in turmoil and the problems mount up and perhaps we lament the state of the world in which we live. We would be forgiven for not understanding that we are extremely privileged to live in the time period in which we do. We live in a time period that the Bible refers to as the latter days. It's a time period that the Bible tells us will usher in great change. A time period that will see the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the establishment of that kingdom. So great is that change that the Bible describes it as an earthquake, a change that will change the political structure of the earth and the very the the social fabrics like we've never seen it before, an earthquake that will change this world forever. And to usher in that change, in the days in which we live, the angels of God are at, at work in this world. Although unseen around us, they are making sure that the right people are born at the right time, with the right characters that think the right way, that come into power and positions at the right time, and they're making sure that the correct political alliances are made at the right time, that the earth moves into a political state that is of use to the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns. We've seen over the last few years a crescendo of what the Bible calls signs, and that gives us hope and faith that what God has said is actually coming to pass. A few examples. It was only in 2020 that we saw Great Britain come out of the European Union, and we're all very familiar of Brexit as it saw Britain break away from the economic ties that had been in Europe for some 47 years previous. And that allows Britain to forge its own way politically in the earth for the next few years. And that's important when we come to scripture because the Bible tells us, as it describes Tarshish, as as Britain is referred to in the scripture, that in the latter days it would be independent of Europe. God wrote that for us 3,000 years ago, and here we are in the last 2,000 years we've seen those things come to pass. That's exciting times as far as Bible prophecy is concerned to witness. Also in 2020, when President Trump was in power in the United States, he orchestrated what became known as the Abraham Accords, and he brokered a deal between Israel, the United Arab Emirates, and Bahrain. And these two recognized the sovereignty of Israel, and that allowed them to establish diplomatic ties, to recognize each other's existence, and to to work with each other both economically and militarily. They've become a core, not just economically, but also a defensive alliance covering Israel, the UAE, Morocco, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Jordan, and Oman. That's important because in scripture, the UAE and Saudi Arabia are referred to as Sheba and Dedan. God has told us that in the latter days, Sheba and Dedan would be allies with Israel. 3,000 years ago that was written, and we've seen that come to pass in the last two years. Exciting times in terms of Bible prophecy for us to witness. We've seen in the news recently 
the aggressive nature of Russia as it entered into Ukraine. We might think it's a, a relatively new problem, but Russia has been aggressive in the world for quite a few decades. In 1992, it took Moldova. In 2008, Russia moved into Georgia. In 2014, she annexed Crimea. And we saw this year, Russia has a, a military campaign against Ukraine and has taken the Western portions of the Ukraine. It's taken the areas that are referred to in ancient times as Scythia. It's the area that the Bible refers to as Magog. God has told us many, many thousands of years ago that in the latter days, our days, Magog would join an alliance with Russia, who's called Ross. We've seen that come to pass, and we're still seeing that come to pass before our very eyes. So it's exciting times in terms of Bible prophecy. What that allows us to do is we can take the scriptures of God, we can understand that God exists, that he has to be the author of the Bible, that what God has said would come to pass has come to pass, and that gives us a platform or a foundation to have faith that what God has said about the return of our Lord Jesus Christ to this earth will actually come to pass. But for the moment, we find ourselves living in tumultuous times. Everywhere we look around the world, we seem to have problems that are insurmountable and unsolvable by human agency. Somewhat dated now, but a 2016 survey went out to gather public opinion and they asked the question, 17 different countries, YouGov asked the question from people in 17 different countries, all things considered, do you think the world is getting a better place or worse? Or neither better or worse. And not unpredictably, overwhelmingly, the response was negative. 59% of respondents throughout all the world say it's getting worse and another 30 said it's neither getting worse or better. Only 11% of people throughout 17 different countries thought that the world was getting a better place. And while written in 2016, it's probably an accurate reflection of the sentiments around the world in which we live today. In fact, only this year, September this year, the Open Society Foundation reported or released a report on global problems and they surveyed people to get their thoughts on the state of the world and the major problems that were going on in the world. So fractured was the responses from that survey that they titled their report, Fault Lines, Global Perspectives on a World in Crisis. Again, the report asked people, they were asked to indicate whether they think things were generally going in the right or wrong direction in their own country. So it's, it's dependent, it's split up into countries. Not is the world getting better, but is your own country getting better or is it getting worse? And as you can see, overwhelmingly, people think that in their own country, things are heading in the wrong direction. The most favorable area of the earth is Asia. It's the only place on earth where more than 50% of people think that in actual fact, things were getting better. In Asia, 52%. Indonesia, 51%, and Singapore, 51% of people think that actually the earth is getting better. The numbers get as high as Africa and other third world countries. 74% of respondents believe that their country is heading in the wrong direction. 
Even in Western countries, Western Europe, 58% of people think that the world, the, their country is headed in the wrong direction. France, 62%. Great Britain, 58%. Germany, 53%. Even the United States, 69% of people have no faith that their country is heading in the right direction. The report concluded that climate change tops the list as the biggest global challenge by some margin, followed by economic turmoil, pandemics, whether they be current and future, or pandemics current and future, and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Now, climate change is something that we hear a lot about. Even in our own country, we seem to be affected by the effects of climate change. In the eastern states, we have headlines like this, where Australia floods again for the third or fourth time this year. Also attributed to climate change seems to be an increase in the severity and the, the, the number of times that we've seen extreme weather events in the last 20 years. This article says that there's been a staggering rise in the number of extreme weather events over the past 20 years driven largely by rising global temperatures and other climate changes, according to a new report from the UN. From 2000 to 2019, there were 7,348 major natural disasters around the world, killing 1.23 million people and resulting in nearly 3 trillion in global economic losses. By comparison, the previous 20 years, there was only 4,000. So nearly double in the last 20 years. Climate change is very topical at the moment as today kicks off the 27th gathering of the climate conference. You may have heard on the news that there are thousands of delegates from around the world gathering in Egypt as we speak to kick off the latest round of talks in an effort to tackle climate change. The 27th time that this group have gathered together to tackle climate change. 27 times since 1994. It's an indication of how hard a problem it is to solve and probably how impossible a problem this is to solve. A recurring theme from the report from Open Societies is the lack of a solution and the feeling that there is no solution or that world leaders lack the direction to solve the problems such as climate change. The report concluded, there was also broad consensus that the world is not heading in the right direction and a lack of confidence in the ability of the international community to solve these challenges. And that's probably correct. Across the 17 countries that the survey was taken, there was quite an appetite for change in South America and in African states, but that's balanced by an unwillingness from richer countries to pay for such creative solutions. It reports, it's no wonder that they are more inclined to support creative action by the international community. Nor is it surprising that people living in countries that would fund global solutions are less enthusiastic about footing the bill. It's a common rhetoric when we come to climate change that the countries that need to solve these problems can't afford it and that the rich countries are unwilling to contribute. A lack of solutions is where man finds itself in this world of turmoil. We don't need to be reminded of the economic 
problems facing the world. Even in Australia, as the cost of living rises and interest rates increase, we're not alone in feeling the economic pinch on a worldwide basis. As supply chains dry up and demand increases. We might be somewhat removed in Australia from hunger, real hunger, but there are millions of people across the globe who, where, or where that is not the case. Respondents were asked across the 17 countries about this statement, and they were asked to comment whether or they agree or not agree that I often worry about whether my family will go hungry. And we can see in the strong a category, millions of people, Latin America, 42% of people, in Africa, 36% of people, even in the Middle East and North Africa, 18%. Millions upon millions of people unaware of where their next meal is coming from. The report goes on to talk about concerns of the war in Russia and how that might become a nuclear war and the effects that that might have on civilization. Even back in 20 or 2008, a panel of experts formed the Global Catastrophic Risk Conference in Oxford. They sat in 2008 and they predicted that by the end of the century there was a 30% chance that nuclear war would kill one million people on Earth. We could go on all night about the state of the world and the worries that people have living in the world because without the Bible, without God's telling them where the earth is headed and maybe dispelling some of the doubts they have about God's ability to fix whatever problems man might have. If, if we remove that level of comfort that God gives us, it truly is a tumultuous world and even a frightening world to live in. And we ask the question, why is the world in that state? How did the world get into the state that it's in? Well, the Bible gives us the answer to that question. It's a historical answer, and it's, it's an answer that's given to us very early on in the Scripture. Very early on, man was given the choice whether to follow the commandments of God and to live a life of godliness, doing what God wanted them to, or to go their own way, to turn their back on the things of God, on the ways of God, and pursue their own wills. And as history would have it, man chose to do exactly that, to turn his back on God, and to follow his own paths. The results of that is a physical change. The result is that now man is a mortal dying creature and by nature he is not at harmony with the things of God. It's fair to say, in fact it's accurate to say, that by nature or naturally speaking man is at enmity or he hates doing the things that God uh, sets forth as his principles. This has been demonstrated historically when the Lord Jesus Christ was on the earth. The Lord Jesus Christ was a son of God. He was a righteous man. He thought like God. He did the actions that God wanted him to do. He is what the Bible would call righteous in every way, so much so that he could write, if you've seen me on earth, you've seen God. He's the most perfect man that has ever existed. 
And yet the world hated the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord told his disciples, if the world hates you, just remember that the world hated me first. And he explained this enmity between the natural man and the principles of God. The Lord said in John 15 and verse 18, If the world hates you, be aware that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you do not belong to the world, but I chose you out of the world, for this reason the world hates you. And so there is, and we can probably appreciate this from our own experience, there is a natural bias to do things not according to what God says. In fact, the world in general turned, has turned its back on God. There was a notable event on earth where the world shifted away from God deliberately. It was an event so catastrophic that the Bible again describes it as an earthquake. And that event was the French Revolution in the late 19th century. It was a time period where social structures were broken down, where man was given liberties and freedoms, where the class system was broken down so there were no longer kings and peasants, but at the same time, the structure broke down between state and people. And it was an opportunity that the people took en masse to turn its back on the church or God. Out of that French Revolution came things like the Declaration of the Rights of the Individual. And from that moment on, we've seen a seismic shift away from the church, as ungodly as the church might have been, it was also a shift away from God, a man and an opportunity for man to do what man wishes. And this is where things become interesting from a personal point of view. If we read some of the declarations of human rights, we might see in them things that are attractive or things that sound right to a human being, that seem like the obvious choice if we were to gov govern ourselves, this is exactly the way it should be done. Article 1. Men are born and remain free and equal in rights. Social distinctions can be found only on the common good. Article 4. That freedom or liberty consists of doing anything which does not harm another person. Article 5. The law can't forbid you to do anything. You can only be forbidden to do something if it is against the law. There's personal freedoms built in to the Declaration of Rights of the, of the Citizen. Article 10. Very important. You cannot be persecuted for your opinions. You can think what you like. You can do what you like as long as you're not hurting another person. And Article 11. Freedom of speech and thought. You can say what you like. You can communicate what you like. They all sound like good things. Unfortunately, it's a seismic shift away from godly principles and it gives man the freedom to do what man wishes. It gives man the freedom to turn away from God and do the things that he thinks is right. There's a shift away from responsibilities, as God would have it, to the rights of the human being. And there's a reason that that is attractive. They are the things that are attractive to na man naturally. Unfortunately, they are polar opposite to the ways of God. God tells us our responsibility is to follow his commandments and live in a, in a way that is in accordance with his principles. 
He goes a step further and God says that once we have done that, we have done only what is our duty to do. You can see the stark difference between rights and responsibilities when it comes to the law of God. The Lord Jesus Christ tells us in Luke 17, So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants, we have done that which was our duty to do. We have no rights as human beings, save to follow the commandments of God, says God. And so the world, a few hundred years or 200 years ago, changed its directions and moved headlong in a way that was godless. And the results of their godless ways is the tumultuous nature of the world in which we live. Without God, man's world is tumultuous. Ecclesiastes 7. This alone I have discovered. God made man upright but they have sought out many evil schemes. And when man is left to his own devices and he pursues his own will, that is exactly what happens. Proverbs 14 and verse 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The ways that seem right unto a man are what we just read in the Charter of Human Rights. They seem perfectly reasonable to every human being, except when they are educated by the things of God from God's word. God's telling us that if we pursue those ways and we turn our back on the things of God, what we get is a tumultuous world and it will end in death. Jeremiah 10 verse 23 is a commentary on our inability to rule ourselves. It's a big problem when we look at the rulership around the world and we look at the motivations behind the decisions that are made in the ruling class it becomes very true. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. It's simply not possible. And we'll see the contrast with our Lord Jesus Christ a bit later on when he rules and how it is that he will make decisions that are beneficial for the rulership of mankind. So that's what God says on the subject. Perhaps we can even take the words of a famous thinker in the last century, Albert Einstein, he also concluded that the way man thinks is a problem. Although not directly involved in the discovery of the atom bomb, he did conclude at that time. The unleashed power of the atom has changed everything, save our modes of thinking, and we thus drift towards unparalleled catastrophe. There is a problem with the way that man thinks, and it ends in a tumultuous world and probably calamity for all humankind involved. But the Bible does offer a hope. As we've said, the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ will return to this earth. He will establish God's kingdom. He will populate the earth with people that glorify God and he will solve the solutions or he will solve the problems of this earth. First of all, God has a solution and it involves the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. So Mark chapter 6 and verse 9 to, set, 9 to 10. It's the Lord Jesus Christ teaching his disciples to pray. And he taught them that when you pray to God, what you should be praying for is God's coming kingdom. That's your hope, he says to them. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. 
Thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. And that is the hallmark of the kingdom of God. When it is established, God's will be done, God's will will be done on earth, just as the angels now carry out the will of God in heaven. And we're told to pray for that. That is the hope that the Bible sets forward. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, as the Lord Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, never to be seen physically by man again, the angels on that occasion told the disciples that he would return. The angels also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye looking into heaven? This Jesus, which was received up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye beheld him going into heaven. It's the teaching of the scripture that the Lord Jesus Christ will return. In the same manner as he went into heaven, he will return. We'll come to that quote on the next slide. When he does come, the Bible teaches us that he's going to be king over all the earth. Politically. So all the political powers, kingdoms, sovereignties, rulerships, everything that is in power today and everybody that is in power today will succeed or secede to the power and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 11 and verse 15. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. That is the purpose of his return to this earth, to be king. And when he does return and his kingdom is established, it will be a restoration of this earth. Acts 3 verse 21, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. Primarily talking about the restoration of the kingdom of Israel, but a restoration in general and a fixing up of all the problems that the earth is facing today. We took a reading from Psalm 72 this evening. It's a psalm that catalogues the characteristics of the reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Psalm 72, we read that when the Lord Jesus Christ reigns, he's going to do it in the right way. It's going to be a righteous reign. He's going to do the right things. It won't be a corrupt reign. He's going to reign absolutely righteously according to the principles of God. Psalm 72, verse 2 to 4. He shall judge thy people with righteousness and thy poor with judgment. The mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He shall judge the poor of the people he shall save the children of the needy. He shall break in pieces the oppressor. They're the people that get forgotten today in the corrupt nature of the political sphere. The Lord Jesus Christ will do things as it's meant to be done. You know, the, the survey covered the question about concern for political corruptness. Here's a graph also dated from 2013, so nearly 10 years old. The share of people who think political parties are very corrupt, 2013. Even in Australia, it was about 60, 56% of people thought political parties were very corrupt. There's not too many areas of that global map that are not pink or dark red. Corruption is a massive problem in the political sphere 
And when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, the hallmark of his reign will be that of righteousness. Isaiah 11, verse 1. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. We said before that it is incapable, man is incapable of governing his own steps today. The rule of the Lord Jesus Christ will be a divine rule. He will rule through the power of God. He will make decisions not based on what he can see or what he has heard. And that's the only way that mankind can rule. The Lord Jesus Christ will make decisions that are correct through the power of God, through a supernatural divine power. He will judge after his knowledge given to him by the Holy Spirit. That's the difference between the rule of Christ and the rule of man. And the result will be an absolutely righteous rule. The result of a righteous rule is peace. He shall judge thy people with righteousness, thy poor with judgment, and the mountains shall bring peace. And one of the biggest concerns throughout that survey was conflict. The coming kingdom of Christ will result in no war. Micah 4 says that in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountains of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills. People shall flow unto it. That's a conditioning of the people to love the things of God. The catastrophe, the catastrophe that was the French Revolution where this world moved away from the things of God will be reversed and all nations will flow up to Jerusalem where the Lord Jesus Christ is king and the things of God emanate. A seismic shift in how this world operates. People shall flow up unto it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That's a remarkable change of events compared to the earth in which we live. The result is peace. He shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall build, build, beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Every man shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree. None shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. For all people will walk, every one, in the name of his God. And we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. You can imagine then that such a rule will be such a relief to the world in which we live. Psalm 72 continues with that relief. He will deliver the needy when he crieth the poor also, and him that hath no helper. He will spare the poor and the needy, he shall save the souls of the needy, he shall redeem their souls from deceit and violence, and precious shall be the blood in his, in his sight. We don't have the verse on screen, but in Psalm 72 we're told that his reign will be like showers upon mowing grass, as a metaphor for the refreshing nature of the righteous rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. The results of that are outlined for us in the final verses of that psalm, Psalm 72. 
We read in verse 15, He shall live, and to him shall be given of the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually, and daily shall he be praised. That means that the things of God will be valued. Daily will God be praised by all people. A massive shift from the attitude of the world in which we live. There shall be a handful of corn in the earth, upon the top of the mountains. The fruit thereof shall shake like Lebanon, and they of the city shall flourish like the grass of the earth. Massive environmental problems, drought, hunger, famine, climate change, will be done away with. This earth will be healed, and it will bring forth abundantly. A handful of corn in the top of the mountains, unheard of today. The earth will be healed, and will bring forth abundantly. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things, and blessed be his glorious name for ever. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And we'll finish off our address with two more Bible principles, and this is the first one that comes from, I think it's verse 19, that the whole earth is going to be filled with God's glory. That's the teaching of the scripture, is the very purpose of God, to fill it with his glory. Numbers 14 and verse 21 tells us that surely God lives and this earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. With the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the establishment of that kingdom, that purpose will be recognised and the earth will be filled with God's glory. We can go through scripture to understand what that means, but it means that the earth will be filled with people who manifest the glory of God, who think like God, who act like God, who have the same morals and values as God. This earth will be filled with people who manifest the glory of God in the age to come. The final point comes from this section. His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. It's an important statement in terms of Bible rhetoric, where all nations will be blessed in him. It's a teaching of scripture. You may have heard of the man called Abraham, who was given great and precious promises. But one of those promises was that God, through Abraham, would bless the whole world, and that he would do so by the inheritance of immortality through the Lord Jesus Christ. He would inherit the earth in this time period that we're talking about, the kingdom of God. And when Abraham was made that promise that in you, Abraham, all nations of the earth will be blessed, and that includes us, all nations of the earth would be blessed, that in fact that was, that was the subject of the gospel. We read of that in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 8, where Paul wrote that the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So there's a few things in that verse we, we need to understand. When God said to Abraham, In thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed, that was the subject of the gospel. What God actually promised to him was the subject of the gospel. And what did that gospel entail? It entailed that God would justify the heathen, or Gentiles, that's us. So part of the plan and purpose of God in this gospel 
where all nations would be blessed through Abraham, would be God justifying or forgiving the sins of the Gentiles. And that's tied up in the plan and purpose of God to solve the problems of this earth is the offer of the forgiveness of sins through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the subject of the gospel preached to Abraham and the gospel extended to us if we associate ourselves with Abraham through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the subject of our second quote there. Galatians 3 verse 27 is important for us because it outlines how we can be part of that plan and purpose. How we can be part of the group of people who will be blessed through Abraham. And it is through baptism into our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 3 verse 27 tells us, For as many of you as have been baptised into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And that's telling us that if we take the time to associate ourselves with God and his son through baptism, we are heirs of that promise made to Abraham, that we can be part of the group that are blessed through Abraham. That means we have our sins forgiven and are immortal in the kingdom of God as outlined in Psalm 72. So, ladies and gentlemen, truly the world is in a tumultuous state. But God, thankfully, has outlined to us a glorious solution. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.